Welcome to See a Fire Ministries with James Myers. Today, James discusses Christ's burial and his resurrection found in his encounter with Thomas in John chapter 20. You can click on the link in the description to visit us on YouTube. We pray this message encourages Christ's church. Gospel of John chapter 20, verse 19 through the end of the chapter. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your, ha- and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He who has ears to hear the word of God, let him hear it. Father, as we consider this most holy of days, this wonderful testimony of the resurrection of your Son, I ask that you indwell us with your Spirit, that we might see the glory of this story, of your trauma of redemption, and the climax and the resurrection of Christ. Father, we lift this time over to you as a time of worship. We pray that you are pleased. Speak now to your sons and daughters. We might glorify you now and forever. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we ask it. Amen. All right. So, going to consider the resurrection again, but we're really going to consider Thomas. Okay, but before that, we must consider somewhat briefly the burial of Christ. Okay, we've talked about this somewhat briefly, and we're going to be very brief about this again. However, remember, it, it, cursed is everyone who's who's hung on a, who's hanged on the tree. Now, this comes from Deuteronomy chapter twenty-one, verses twenty-two and twenty-three. So let me just read this real quickly. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree. But you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. Okay, so again, just going back to the last message, that's why everybody's kind of disillusioned by this, by the death 
of the Messiah. Now, this man, this very wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea, was part of the Sanhedrin, part of the council. Remember, Nicodemus was too. He was a great leader. He was the teacher of Israel at that time. Both of them, Joseph went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Okay, And Pilate's very surprised that he's already dead. Anyway, he, he, he hands it over to them. That wouldn't be so exceptional. We've talked about typically these, these criminals who were crucified would be thrown into Gehenna. Where all of them would be burned okay, in this death valley, so to speak. And again, Jesus always called hell. He always referred to hell as Gehenna. Okay, and I'm not going to talk about talk much about that. However, Joseph of Arimathea was secretively a disciple. So obviously, jo- uh, Joseph and, Nic- and Nicodemus, neither of them, attested to the verdict of putting Christ to death. Okay, so Joseph of Arimathea is a secret disciple, but he makes his belief quite public after the Messiah has died, hanged on a tree. Yet, he's still zealous for the law, and so he's going to do that which Deuteronomy says. You must not leave him overnight. He who is hanged on a tree is cursed, but you must not leave him overnight. He must be buried that night. So Joseph gives it a tomb that has never been used. Luke makes this clear. Matthew says it's a new tomb. But it's a tomb of a wealthy, a wealthy person, a wealthy man. He was buried as a king, as it were, and especially with the spices. Remember, we, we considered the 100 pounds of aloes and myrrh. That's really for a king. That's a burial for a king. And these two members of the Sanhedrin are anointing this dead Messiah and burying him out of reverence. Out of reverence. They still believe. Nobody's expecting the resurrection at this point. They're just waiting to see what happens. But they do believe. None of the disciples are around. None of the disciples got him down from that cross and buried him. They didn't anoint him with spices. The women waited. The women prepared the spices so that on Sunday, everybody's going to adhere to the Sabbath. The Sabbath, the Shabbat, is the day of rest for the Jew. Still is still is and again at this time it's passover so nobody's going to the tomb on the passover but the women prepared spices likely friday you know got the stuff necessary but it's likely on the way to the tomb on sunday as well they get more provisions and so forth and they're wondering how they're going to you know move the stone and, and and so forth however i just wanted to point out that jesus christ is dead Okay, Jesus is not breathing. There's no heartbeat. There's nothing there. They buried him dead. And, and everybody's adhering to the Sabbath, still following God's commands, believing in Jesus. But the only ones who are going to muster up enough courage to do anything about Jesus right now are these two men of the Sanhedrin and women. Women who had followed him are determined on Sunday on Sunday, if we can figure out a way to roll away the stone, especially with all these guards there, you know, let's do that. Let's do that. Maybe we can ask permission. Who knows what they were thinking? You know, there are certain con- certain conjectures we can surmise that may or may not have happened. But again, clearly, he is dead. All of his disciples had scattered. Remember, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. All of them 
have, have run away scared. Peter, the lead apostle, denied him three times to a little girl, not someone who really poses a threat, just someone who poses a problem. He denied him three times. And then on the third time, the rooster crowed. And in the Gospels, it says, he and Jesus met eye to eye when the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said. And he fled away weeping. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that pain that's still going on in Peter still going on in all of these disciples, the women included, but all of the disciples are scattered, scared for their own life. That's where they're hiding away for fear of the Jews. They're scared for their own life, but they have lost the Messiah. The King of Kings is dead. They're mourning. They're, they're terrified. All sorts of things are going on with this, this, these disciples. But again, they do not expect him to rise on the third day. So remember, the women go, and Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. There are, very, there are few different accounts of that that we can get into, God willing, in another time. However, remember, the testimony of the women, they came to, to the disciples, and Peter and John are the ones who ran to the tomb. And John says, when he went into the tomb and saw the shroud, the linen, the linen cloth, just lying there as though the body just kind of went through it. He believed. That's all it took for John. That's all it took for John. He believed. Okay. And then Jesus, remember in Matthew, I mean in uh, Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, um, in chapter 24, verse 36 through verse 43. Now, as they said, they said remember, he had uh, met those two people on the road to Emmaus, right? And then right after that, they, they're going to tell all the disciples. And at that time, Jesus shows up and he says, now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be to you. We'll get to that. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy... And marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and, and he took it and ate in their presence. So again, all the disciples are doubting. So I just want to give Thomas a fair shake here. You know, for the history of Christianity, he's been called Doubting Thomas, when all of the disciples were doubting, every single one of them, until, God, until Jesus showed them also his hands and his feet. Same thing he does to, does to Thomas. Okay, so... When he first comes to the disciples, Thomas is not around. Thomas is not around. Who knows if he's just in his lonesome, you know, dark chamber of anguish and just wants to suffer alone for a time, right? All of this, all of all of our ideas have fallen. All of my brotherhood was linked to this Messiah. Now, you know, now all of that is gone. I just want to be by myself. That could have been one of the things, but he's not there. Okay, so Jesus shows up and he says, peace be with you. Shalom. Shalom. Now, without getting too much into this, this is a general greeting. But again, first of all, they're, they're all distraught. They're all distraught. They're, they, this is 
absolute total tragedy. They are mourning, and Jesus comes to them with peace. Now, this peace is really an eschatological peace. Jesus Christ is, is basically promising, not just saying, peace to you, peace. Hope, hope there's peace with you. I hope the best for you. Hello, peace. No, now, peace be to you. Shalom, for the rest of eternity. For the rest of eternity. Not just now, I'm not trying to calm your fears and your anguish down right now. No, I am risen, so peace be to you, now and forever. Now and forever, okay? Now Thomas isn't there at this point. However, the apostles have seen him, now, and then he blows on them, okay, and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Spirit is breath, and there's much to be said about that, but right now we're just going to consider Thomas, um, but within the framework of the other disciples as well. So, they had all doubted. They had all doubted. They, they, they were slow to believe this until the risen, truly, the body the bodily raised Jesus Christ comes to them, shows him his hands and his feet. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. And remember, Paul even said he showed himself to over 500 people. To over 500 people. And God willing, next week we will take some time to prove the historicity of the resurrection. There are many different ways in which this is, looked, is seen. And we, God willing, we take some time to finally establish, you know, the, the absolute historicity of the resurrection. However, so Thomas isn't there at this point. So they go to him and they say, uh, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see, and his, that's great, you saw, that's fantastic. But, you know, he's dead. I don't really know how much I can trust you. I put my trust in him enough. And he's dead. He's dead. All my hopes and dreams are fallen. So... Unless I, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Okay, now, very briefly, there are all sorts of different kinds of doubts. All sorts of kinds of different doubts. Again, the determined doubt to just mock this, that's not a true doubt. That's not a true investigative doubt. That is unbelief. Doubt and unbelief are not, the, are not the same. Doubt basically stands between belief and unbelief. It, it's really a state of two minds. You're kind of in two minds. But he does not say, no, I don't care if you saw him. I am not going to believe this no matter what. My hopes and dreams are dashed. All my, I'm suffering here. And so, no, I don't care what happens. I will not believe. Thomas, logically, says, well, if he appeared to you, I was one of his apostles. He should appear to me. So unless he does, until he does, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe based on your own testimony. Just like all the other disciples did not believe just because of the women's testimony. The disciples are the same. Thomas is given this account, I think, for us. I think for us. So there are many different kinds of doubts. There are true doubts. We will all, we will all go through a period of darkness, absolute despair. In the Pilgrim's Progress, uh, Christian is with another fellow pilgrim called named Hopeful. 
and they they find this place where it looks like they can they 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 see a shortcut leading to the celestial city right they're they're along the narrow path the straight and narrow path and they see wow we can get there faster if we go along this way let's jump this wall and take this way and they do and they meet up with this guy named vain confidence he starts to lead them and he falls into this pit and, and they see that just before and all sorts of rain all sorts of hazardous stuff happens and they fall asleep and in the day the king called giant despair arrests them and puts them into the dungeon of the castle the dungeon is called well the castle is called doubting castle and giant despair the king beats christian and he beats hopeful nearly nearly to death over and over and over again and the king gets kind of exhausted sometimes he kind of is thrown into these fits so, so to speak and he can't necessarily kill him so his wife implores him just tell them to kill themselves you know so he goes and he says look you know this is all over you're gonna die and you're gonna be piled up with all the other skulls and bones that are over here just do it yourself why don't you just do it yourself stop suffering Stop this suffering. Just kill yourself. Just kill yourself. Now, hopeful, Christian doesn't know what to do at this point. He, he's doubting. He's in the darkness. He's in the shadows. And hopeful reminds him, basically, suicide is not an option. Suicide is worse than murder. Because you both kill the body and the soul. Murder, you kill a body. That's terrible. It's terrible, but you kill your body and your soul. There is much to be said about this. There's much to be said about this, especially as regards to counseling people who are suicidal. But unfortunately, we don't have the time to get into that right now. However, so, Hopeful reminds Christian of this. And Christian is thinking, you know, yeah, that's all well and good. That's all well and good, but all is hopeless. And then he remembers he was given a key. This key is called promise. And he thinks, well, I, I firmly believe, I was told this, this key will unlock any door. So, and a hopeful says, yeah, take that out of your pocket and let's give it a shot. And sure enough, it opens a cell. It, they have a hard time, but it opens the gate to get them out. They're freed by God's promises every one of us will go through despair and we'll get to some of this in a bit but all every one of us will go through despair every one of us will have a time of doubting okay and we'll get to that but i briefly want to talk about thomas here thomas in the other gospels and in the book of acts he's merely listed as one of the apostles right one of the 12 in the gospels and in acts remember it's one of the 11 because judas is dead okay so that's all. Now in John, in the 11th chapter of John, that's where the story of Lazarus is told. And, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I'm going to give you bits and pieces. But it's where Lazarus, he's good friends with Lazarus and Martha and Mary, his sisters. Lazarus' sisters are Martha and Mary. And Jesus is told, well, Lazarus is sick. He's very sick. Sick unto death. Sick unto death. Okay. And Jesus says, okay, well, we need to go. He, he's just sleeping. Okay, Jesus knows he's dead. Okay, by the time the messengers have gotten there, Lazarus is dead and he knows that. Okay, now, the disciples implore him though. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews ought, sought to stone you and you are going there again? 
And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, we'll talk about that somewhat briefly here in a second, said to his fellow disciples, let us, all, let us also go, that we may die with him. So Thomas is a man of courage. Just like all the disciples were saying, we'll die with you. No, absolutely. Not, not to worry, Jesus. We will die with you. Now, when he gets there, Martha and Mary are quite sad. You know, Lazarus is now dead. Jesus took too long, basically. And they're saying, you know, if you would have gotten here earlier, by this time he had been dead for four days. Okay. And so this is where the shortest sentence in the Bible is written. Jesus wept. Martha is, is mourning to Jesus and Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps for and with his people. He suffers with his people. He knew he was about to re resurrect him, but he still wept. Now, so he told Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, Thomas and all the disciples heard this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Does Thomas believe this yet? Do, do the disciples believe this yet? Do you believe this yet? Let us all become Thomas today. Not resting on our laurels. Not resting that our faith is absolutely secure. That is the walk of the Christian for the rest of our lives. We make our calling and election sure. Never taking anything for granted. Relying on the salvation of Christ. Now, the other, part, the other place that he's mentioned is when Jesus is given that great discourse to his disciples. Basically, I'm going away for a while, or I'm going, going away, and you know, you know how to come and so forth, before he has that wonderful high priestly prayer, okay? Now that's found in the 14th chapter of John. Verse 1, let, your heart not be, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you, there you may be also. And where, I go and, the, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? So, this is something I love about Thomas. He's the one who's going to say something where nobody else is, right? He's the one who says, let us go that we might die with him. And now everybody's thinking this. Everybody's thinking this. We don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. You know, we don't know where you're going. So how can we even know the way? And Thomas is the one who speaks up. And had it not been for Thomas, 
We don't have the wonderful ver following verse. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's because of this blessed disciple and his doubting tendencies, his curiosity, his, his, his determination to seek the truth, not just hear things and hope it all works out. Thomas needs to know. Thomas needs to be sure. He needs to be sure to be secure in his faith. He is not going, at this time, he is not going to believe in a dead Jesus. If Jesus is not raised, there is no Jesus to follow. If there is no resurrection, the atonement is of no value. It's just a passing event in history. The resurrection secured the atonement, attested to the atonement, completed the work of atonement, so to speak. Okay, so now he's called the twin. It's in the in the in the Greek, it's Didymus. Okay, now in the Hebrew, what is it? It's uh, Teom, and in the Aramaic, it's Teoma. So it could just be because it sounds the same. But there are many conjectures in the Gospel of Peter, I think it was, one of the apocryphal books that came much later, uh, well, around two centuries after Christ, says that he, he looked like Jesus. That's why they called him, that's why everybody called him the twin. We don't know why they called him the twin. It could just be that the name sounded the same, or it could mean that he looks looked like Jesus a little bit, or somebody. Or maybe he had a twin. Who knows? But they call him Didymus which means twin, okay? Now, again, he wasn't with them, and he's determined, I'm not going to believe unless I feel him, and unless I can put my finger into his side, okay? And after eight days, okay, now after eight days, Jesus shows up the day of his resurrection, the evening of his resurrection to the disciples when Thomas isn't there. And they tell him, we've seen the Lord. And he says, unless I, unless I see him, unless I touch him, put my finger into his side, I'm not going to believe. And for eight days, he's left, which Jesus Christ will do. He didn't appear right after he had said this to reassure Thomas. He wants Thomas to go through this inquiry for the rest of the week. You know, my brothers are telling me, telling me that he's raised. These women are telling me that he's raised. Certainly, the body isn't anywhere. Did they take it away? How can I make sense of this? Perhaps he is risen. There's likely a roller coaster of emotions going on with him. Hope, and then hope falls, <laughs> and doubt arises. But he's, he's saying, though, one thing I can know for sure is that if I see him, just like you did, and if I can feel him, if I can touch him, I will believe. For eight days, Jesus Christ lets him doubt. Go through the wrestling match, wrestle within himself. Can I really believe this? Can I really believe this without seeing him? You know, my brothers are trustworthy. They firmly believe that they saw him. Why would they lie to me about this? But my doubt is too, too strong in me. I need, I need to see it with my own eyes. I need to feel him with my own hands. Right? So eight days later, a week later, Jesus shows up again. Where they're still afraid, 
They're still hiding out for fear of the Jews, right? And they're all together again. And Jesus, show, and Jesus shows up. He does not rebuke Thomas. He doesn't say, you know, look, man, I've, this whole time in my ministry, I've been telling you that I'm going to be handed over to the Jews. They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to be raised on the third day. Remember the whole, you know, tear down this temple and in three days I'll build it up again? You remember all these different times I was talking about being raised on the third day? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. To an honest inquiry, to an honest doubt, he will be compassionate. He will be compassionate. He comes to him and he says, Peace to you, to you all. Shalom. Same thing to Thomas now. Same thing. Shalom forever. Peace forever. I am risen. This is fantastic. The king has won. Okay? You've been mourning because the king, king has died. The king has won. The king has won. The king has won by dying. And now that's secured by being raised and to reign and rule in righteousness forever. Peace be to you. Shalom to all of them. And then he tells, he, he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Go ahead. This is what you need for your doubt. For your doubt, Thomas, I'm going to acquiesce. I'm going to do this for you. For you, Thomas. You're one of my apostles. This is what I did with all my, all my disciples. But for you, I wanted you to go through this. That this testimony might be passed down from generation to generation because everybody's going to go through this. Okay? That's part of the purpose for Thomas specifically. So, he told him, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas was not unbelieving yet. He was doubting, but Jesus Christ is saying, don't fall into unbelief. Don't let your insecurities, don't let your, don't let your despair defeat you. You doubt? Fine. And you needed, you needed some actual proof. You needed the truth to actually believe in because you don't want to follow a dead Savior. Understandably, here, here I am. Thomas did not reach out his hand. He didn't stick his finger into his side. He falls on his knees and prays, My Lord and my God. He uses Lord, the other, the other name, for Yahweh and my God. Jehovah's Witnesses have a huge problem with this verse because, again, they don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. This is an absolute confirmation that Christ is God incarnate. So he says, my Lord and my God, my doubts are gone. My doubts are gone. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. But we also didn't, get, didn't go and suffer through his three and a half years of ministry, been in anguish because of the cross. We must recognize where we are on, this, on the side of the cross, okay? These men are given this time to become his ambassadors. Let me just put it that way. So he shows himself to them. For eyewitness testimony to be passed down. So that's why he says, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. He doesn't say, you know, how dare you? The belief of everybody else is going to be much stronger because blessed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's not saying their belief is so much greater because you had to feel me and you had to see me. He's just saying, by your eyewitness testimony, this is for you. 
so that those who do not see, because if I just show up every day of every moment to everybody, it ceases being a miracle. It ceases being faith. It ceases to have any meaning whatsoever. If it's just something, that, just like the sun rising, it's wonderful, it's amazing, we all take it for granted. Right? This is once and for all. This is once and for all. All of these men had the same doubting tendencies that all of us have. And Christ, Christ settled them, truly settled them with himself. Thomas was doubting because of the despair, because of his own agony, and because he's not going to be incredulous to follow a dead man. None of us should. Now, again, Thomas had what I believe a reasonable doubt. We must not choose, we must not decide to just simply believe because our Father said so, the minister says so, the Bible says so, and so I'm going to believe. No, we must make sure these things are true. We must walk the path of the Bible and find the true revelation of God for his people. Don't take any man's word for it. Don't take any man's testimony. That's why I say to you, like the Bereans, go to your Bibles. Go to your Bibles. Seek out Christ yourself. We will all be in seasons of doubt. And sometimes those times can be heavy darkness where you don't want to believe. You don't want to believe. You want to find any reason not to. Find any way not to. You come up with the most obscure nonsense to excuse your unbelief until you realize that's nonsense. That's nonsense. And then he wakens you again back to himself. And then those doubts, those doubts, he tears down by his truth. He will lead you into his truth. Seek him. Don't, don't fall into the darkness of despair because of your doubts. See the light of God through our Christ and seek Him. Wherever these whenever these doubts are manifested, sometimes they can be a great boon for our faith. Just like I had said, the, the, the most degenerate, sinful man and woman, when they come to Christ, they tend to see the light a lot more. When they truly come to Christ, they tend to see His light much more because they came out of this severe darkness, such as it is with all of God's people. We will stumble along the road. We will all try to take a step or two offside, to the left hand or to the right hand of that narrow path. Let us find the truth to assuage us from such things. There's only one way. There's only one way. And you will find, even God willing anyway, when you find yourself in this darkness, when you find yourself in this despair, you will find that's far more nonsensical and irrational, and the disbelief in God gives no meaning, gives no purpose, gives no explanation, has no explanatory power. It, it falls by its own nonsensical weight. 
But these are these are wrestlings that you will go through. Don't just fall by the weight of doubt. Otherwise, you will be driven into unbelief. If you just cascade down into the darkness, you will drift away into the darkness. Whenever you find yourself in darkness, find his light. Be determined to find his light. One of the things, as you all know, I had this period myself. Right? Darkness and I don't want to believe. I don't want to believe. You have two options. You have two options. You can just choose to not believe and f just stop seeking anything out. You're just going to stay there. Or test it out. Test your faith. Again, make your calling and election sure. That's a true doubt. To be mocking, a doubt like, I don't want to believe in you, isn't a sincere doubt. It's not a, it's not a quest for actual truth. It's just a motive. It's just an emotion. Doubt can be a powerful emotion, but it can also be a very unreasonable one. So, now, belief, simply put, is a persuaded commitment, right? We believe the sun rises every day. <laughs> not because of somebody told, not because somebody told us, not because it just repeats every day, but because we have the experience and we, we've seen the history throughout time, there is reason enough to believe that the sun rises every day, right? The sun, whether we can see it or not, it's still there, right? So belief is a persuaded commitment. We do not blindly leap into the darkness and hope that God saves us. Follow your faith down the path of truth, not credulity. That's why I continue to say Christianity is not a credulous faith. It's a very wise faith. It's a thinking man's faith. And it's a strong man or a woman who will remain in that faith. Because God gives, a, them, gives us strength. For all these times of darkness, for all these times of despair. One of my man, Oz Guinness, he's a theologian, he's really old now, but he's wonderful, very brilliant man. He says, to believe is to be in one mind about accepting something is true. To disbelieve is to be in one mind about rejecting it. And to doubt is to waver somewhere in between the two and thus be in two minds. And then towards the end of this, this article it was, thus, since there is no believing without some doubting, there is no believing without some doubting. You doubt first, and even during your time of faith, there will be some doubting. So there is no believing without some doubting. But since believing is all the stronger for understanding and resolving doubt, we can say as Christians that if we doubt in believing, it is also true that we believe in doubting. This all to say, mainly, you will be driven to doubt by many different things. It might not be the dark hour of your soul. It might not be some terrible tragedy. It might just happen on a random Wednesday morning where you wake up and you think all of this is nonsense. Well, don't remain there. If it's, if it's nonsense, make sure it's nonsense. Seek it out. That's just as crucial to recognize as if he is true. 
C.S. Lewis, after his wife had passed away, said, But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that silence, you may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity, and so very absent a help in our time of trouble? God will not remain silent forever. There will be times you will be driven into this darkness, into this utter silence, where you can't hear or see anything of the things of God. God willing, you don't. I hope you don't. Uh, but it tends to be part of the pilgrimage for our testing, for our refining, so that we are stronger on the other side of the darkness. Just like salvation, when we are in utter darkness, we are far better, obviously, on the other side of the cross. Sanctification will drive you to these periods of absolute silence, of absolute darkness, where you cry out to him, and just like Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We will cry the same. We will cry the same. And we will not feel his presence. And that's why I've also said, God never promised you will always feel that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You will always feel like that. I will make sure that you feel like this for the rest of your life until eternity. No, he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. When it's absolutely dark, when it's absolutely lonely, when it's absolutely silent, our God is right there, watching over you, making sure you don't fall completely off of the path, because He is faithful. He is faithful to His people. He will never leave you, and He will never forsake you. That is His promise. And he has been true. We don't have time for that. He is true. He's shown his faithfulness throughout time. And he is true much more in that respect to his people. And remember, we, we when we first discussed the resurrection, we looked at what Paul said in the 15th chapter of the book of Corinthians, the first epistle to the Corinthians, where he gives that wonderful reductio ad absurdum argument. It's beautiful, it's, it's illustrative, and it's absolutely rational. Where he's asking, where he's even saying, if there is no resurrection, then, then Jesus Christ is not raised. And if he's not raised, we are all still in our sins. And he ends, up say, he ends up saying in another place, you know, if, if, if Christ truly isn't raised, don't hate us as Christians. Have pity on us. Feel sorry. That's what I want to say to any fallen man or unregenerate man or woman who hate Christians. Like, why do you hate Christians? Weird, isn't it? Kind of odd. But don't hate us. Pity us. Apparently, life has no meaning. Why don't we just eat, drink, and be merry? Sleep with whomever, do all the drugs we want, eat, throw it up just like the hedonists did. Why don't we just, if we, we're losing out on life, feel sorry for us, pity us. We believe 
and a raised man. <laughs> and a man who died on a cross and was raised. And if that didn't happen, pity us. But in that, in that um, epistle, uh, chapter 15, verse 54, says, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, first part is in Isaiah 25, 8, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Now, God willing, we will consider next week the resurrection of our bodies. Our resurrection. Now, we are given new life here. The moment we are saved, the moment God the Holy Spirit indwells his people, we are given new life. But the resurrection is another new life that we will discuss, God willing, next week. But what, what uh, Paul is saying is, when this corruptible, right, these bodies are corruptible, has put on incorruption, and God gives us, restores our body, but makes it incorruptible. When the mortal has put on immortality, then, then, so this prophecy of Isaiah and Hosea really points to the final resurrection. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's Christ's resurrection. Again, he killed death by being killed. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? So again, God willing, we will re return to that. Now, Psalm, I just want to read Psalm 130. It's a very short psalm, but it's talking about waiting for the redemption of the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, my, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Out of the depths, out of the depths, I have cried to you, O Lord. Again. We will all be deep in darkness and in doubt. Cry out to him. Even when you, you can't hear his voice, continue to cry out to him. Lord, hear my voice. Hear me. Even though I can't hear you. Even though I don't feel your presence. Lord, hear my voice. I'm pleading with you. I'm absolutely lonely. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Please continue to hear and hear what I'm saying. I, I need you, and I know I need you. Even when I'm doubting, I know I need you. Listen to my voice, hear my voice. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, if this is because of your own sin, our own sins or whatever, Remember, Lord, if you're the one, if you mark all iniquities, if you remember this forever, 
Who can stand before you? Everybody's hopeless. Everybody's hopeless. But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be revered. There's forgiveness with you, so that you might be feared. This is where the fear of the Lord comes from. See, he's, it's not just a tyrannical fear of judgment. Because of this, because of his forgiveness, he may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. When you were in this doubt, wait. Wait. He will come to you. He always comes to you. Wait. Rely on his promises, not your nonsensical feeling in a tummy. Not your wayward inclinations. We are all fools. We are not omnipotent. We are not omniscient. Let us know and remain in our own lane, as it were, using jargon of the time. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who just watch from the day to day to day to day. I'm watching for you. I'm watching for this absolute redemption. O Israel, O church, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy. Where are you going to find this? You don't find this in your dark dungeon of Doubting Castle. You don't find mercy from giant despair. You don't find it from his wife dissidence. You find it in God, in Him alone. So, O oh church, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is abundant redemption. It's not a partial re redemption. He doesn't take away some of your sins and hope for the best for you. You work it out yourself. Abundant redemption, for He shall redeem the church from all of our iniquities. Our doubts arise because we are sinners. Sin tears us away from our Creator. And if we will rest in that pit of despair, we will be wanting of any sort of mercy. Where we shut out the presence of God, He will never leave you, He will never forsake you. But if you come to this time where you push him away, he will give you over to hate him. He will not force himself upon you. Many are called, few are chosen. Let us make sure, despite how we feel, despite our moments in this life, in this pilgrimage, we will find ourselves on the tops of the highest mountains and we will find ourselves in the lowest, darkest, shadowy valleys of death. Remember Psalm 23. Let us not fear these doubts. Let us not fear these pits. Let us not fear despair. Let us fear God. Revere Him. Seek Him and find His truth. Though we waver, Remember chapter 27 in the book of Acts, when the seas are raging, and they're being tossed to and fro, and it's absolutely dark. The sun isn't coming out, there are no stars. It's absolutely dark. And God promises his deliverance. It's absolutely hopeless. 
They know the shipwreck is coming. God saves all of them alive. We will all be put in the raging seas. Let us not forget the accounts of Jesus with his apostles on the raging seas. But lo, there's Christ walking on the waters. Our Savior will come to us despite the whatever ways you don't find, you don't think he can. He is God Almighty. He is the King of Kings. Risen for our eternal redemption and true, true life. Not a life of darkness, not a life of death, not a life with corruptible bodies or mortal frames. No, an eternal life, full of light, full of majesty, full of glory, full of honor without end. But let us remain in that glory here. No matter how many mountaintops we're on, you will find yourself, when you're on the mountaintop, you're inclined to pride. You're inclined to pride. We're all inclined to pride. God will tear you down. God willing, he will bring you low. We are the humble. We are the humble. And he lifts up to glory. Remember, he, he will tear down the haughty. When you're on the mountaintop, when you're on the mountaintop, that's when to beware. When you think, you just know it, you've got this whole thing figured out, you're just walking the, the narrow path, heaven is yours this side. That's the time to be most afraid. It's the time to be most attentive. It's easy when you're in the valley. When you're on the mountaintop, you look, every, you look at everything below. When you're in the valley, the only place you can look is up. Doubt can be a handicapping thing. It can be a paralyzing thing, but it doesn't have to be. That is up to us. That is up to us. Doubt will creep in. That's the point of this message. When it happens, be like Thomas. Be like Thomas. Until I can know this for sure, and then pursue it. Don't remain in the darkness. Don't remain in despair. Don't remain in doubt. Otherwise, you will cascade into unbelief. Eternally in the dark totally outside of any hand of providential mercy there is one God there is no other he is the gracious one he is the merciful one that is why we do not believe based on circumstance we believe on truth Christianity is a historical religion it's a historical faith if Jesus is not raised there is no church. Let's walk the rest of our days down the narrow path, seeking his assurance, not relying on our own, not relying on the faith we muster, and, and just be comfortable with where we are. No matter how much you just find that you're convinced of the things of God, Pursue, pursue until we reach glory.
where there are no more valleys. There are no t more tempestuous seas. There is absolute peace, eternal light, and glory with our God. Now, what we must guard up, guard against, though, because that's wonderful, and it's a wonderful thing we can hope for and expect and, and believe it strongly. But we must apply that to our own lives. We must apply that to our daily and moment-to-moment -moment day lives. Yes, that glory awaits us, but that glory has saved us now. Let us make sure we remain on the path and not try to look for a shortcut. That's where we find despair. Be diligent. Remember, keep watch. Take heed. It's all in the Bible. Don't rest on your laurels. Rest on your Savior. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that death is not the end. We thank you that you bring life and life abundant. Father, I ask that you fill us with your light, even in the darkest moments of despair. Father, we know you hear you. We, we know you hear us. We know your grace is true. We know that you are true. Father, when we find ourselves in the valley, when we find ourselves in the darkness, speak, my God. Reach out your hand and lift, lift us up out of the pit of despair into your glory, to your peace, to the abundance of hope sitting at your right hand. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life. <laughs>